0: chapter 5 of the terror a mystery this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by dan gersinski the terror by arthur machen chapter 5 the incident of the unknown tree Dr. Lewis, smiling indulgently, and quite prepared for some monstrous piece of theorizing, led Remnant into the room that overlooked the terraced garden and the sea. The doctor's house, though it was only ten minutes' walk from the centre of the town, seemed remote from all other habitations. The drive to it from the road came through a deep grove of trees and a dense shrubbery trees were about the house on either side mingling with neighboring groves and below the garden fell down terrace by green terrace to wild growth a twisted path amongst red rocks and at last to the yellow sand of a little cove the room to which the doctor took remnant looked over these terraces and across the water to the dim boundaries of the bay it had french windows that were thrown wide open and the two men sat in the soft light of the lamp this was before the days of severe lighting regulations in the far west and enjoyed the sweet odors and the sweet vision of the summer evening then remnant began i suppose lewis you've heard these extraordinary stories of bees and dogs and things that have been going about lately certainly i've heard them i was called in at Place nowed and treated thomas trevor was only just out of danger by the way i certified for the poor child mary trevor she was dying when i got to the place there was no doubt she was stung to death by bees and i believe there were other very similar cases at Lontarnum and morwen none fatal i think what about them well then there are the stories of good tempered old sheepdogs turning wicked and savaging children. Quite so. I haven't seen any of these cases professionally, but I believe the stories are accurate enough. And the old woman assaulted by her own poultry? That's perfectly true. Her daughter put some stuff of their own concoction on her face and neck, and then she came to me. The wound seemed going all right, so I told her to continue the treatment, whatever it might be." "'Very good,' said Mr. Remnant. He spoke now, with an italic impressiveness. "'Don't you see the link between all this and the horrible things that have been happening about here for the last month?' Louis stared at Remnant in amazement. He lifted his red eyebrows and lowered them in a kind of scowl. His speech showed traces of his native accent. "'Great burning!' he exclaimed. "'What on earth are you getting at now? "'It is madness! "'Do you mean to tell me that you think there is some connection "'between a swarm or two of bees that have turned nasty, "'a cross dog, and a wicked old barn-door cock, "'and these poor people that have been pitched over the cliffs "'and hammered to death on the road? "'There is no sense in it, you know.' i am strongly inclined to believe that there is a great deal of sense in it replied remnant with extreme calmness look here louis i saw you grinning the other day at the club when i was telling the fellows that in my opinion all these outrages had been committed certainly by the germans but by some method of which we have no conception but what i meant to say when i talked about inconceivables was just this that the Williams and the rest of them have been killed in some way that's not in theory at all, not in our theory at all events, some way we've not contemplated, not thought of for an instant. Do you see my point? Well, in a sort of way, you mean there's an absolute originality in the method? I suppose that is so, but what next?' Remnant seemed to hesitate, partly from a sense of the portentous nature of what he was about to say, partly from a sort of half-unwillingness to part with so profound a secret. "'Well,' he said, "'you will allow that we have two sets of phenomena of a very extraordinary kind occurring at the same time. Don't you think that it's only reasonable to connect the two sets with one another?' "'So the philosopher of Tender and Steeple and the Goodwin Sands thought, certainly,' said Lewis. "'But what is the connection? Those poor folks on the highway weren't stung by bees or worried by a dog, and horses don't throw people over cliffs, or stifle them in marshes.' "'No, I never meant to suggest anything so absurd.' it is evident to me that in all these cases of animals turning suddenly savage the cause has been terror panic fear the horses that went charging into the camp were mad with fright we know and i say that in the other instances we have been discussing the cause was the same the creatures were exposed to an infection of fear and a frightened beast or bird or insect uses its weapons, whatever they may be. If, for example, there had been anybody with those horses when they took their panic, they would have lashed out at him with their heels. Yes, I dare say that that is so. Well? Well, my belief is that the Germans have made an extraordinary discovery. I have called it the Z-ray. You know that the ether is merely an hypothesis. We have to suppose that it's there to account for the passage of the Marconi current from one place to another. Now suppose that there is a psychic ether, as well as a material ether. Suppose that it is possible to direct irresistible impulses across this medium. Suppose that these impulses are towards murder or suicide then I think you have an explanation of the terrible series of events that have been happening in Marion for the last few weeks. And it is quite clear to my mind that the horses and the other creatures have been exposed to this Z-ray, and that it has produced on them the effect of terror, with ferocity as the result of terror. Now what do you say to that? Telepathy, you know, is well established. So is hypnotic suggestion, you have only to look in the Encyclopaedia Britannica to see that, and suggestion is so strong in some cases as to be an irresistible imperative. Now don't you feel that putting telepathy and suggestion together, as it were, you have more than the elements of what I call the Z-ray? I feel myself that I have more to go on in making my hypotheses than the inventor of the steam engine had in making his hypotheses when he saw the lid of the kettle bobbing up and down. What do you say?" Dr. Lewis made no answer. He was watching the growth of a new, unknown tree in his garden. The doctor made no answer to Remnant's question. For one thing, Remnant was profuse in his eloquence. He had been rigidly condensed in his history. And Lewis was tired of the sound of his voice. For another thing, he found the Z-ray theory almost too extravagant to be bearable, wild enough to tear patience to tatters. And then, as the tedious argument continued, Lewis became conscious that there was something strange about the night. It was a dark summer night. The moon was old and faint, above the dragon's head, across the bay, and the air was very still. It was so still that Lewis had noted that not a leaf stirred on the very tip of a high tree that stood out against the sky, and yet he knew that he was listening to some sound that he could not determine or define. It was not the wind in the leaves. It was not the gentle wash of the water of the sea against the rocks. That latter sound he could distinguish quite easily. But there was something else. It was scarcely a sound. It was as if the air itself trembled and fluttered, as the air trembles in a church when they open the great pedal-pipes of the organ. The doctor listened intently. It was not an illusion. The sound was not in his own head, as he had suspected for a moment. But for the life of him he could not make out whence it came or what it was. He gazed down into the night over the terraces of his garden, now sweet with the scent of the flowers of the night, tried to peer over the tree-tops across the sea toward the dragon's head. It struck him suddenly that this strange fluttering vibration of the air might be the noise of a distant aeroplane or airship. There was not the usual droning hum, but this sound might be caused by a new type of engine. A new type of engine? Possibly it was an enemy airship. Their range, it had been said, was getting longer. And Lewis was just going to call Remnant's attention to the sound, to its possible cause, and to the possible danger that might be hovering over them, when he saw something that caught his breath and his heart with wild amazement and a touch of terror he had been staring upward into the sky and about to speak to remnant he had let his eyes drop for an instant he looked down towards the trees in the garden and saw with utter astonishment that one had changed its shape in the few hours that had passed since the setting of the sun there was a thick grove of ilexes bordering the lowest terrace and above them rose one tall pine spreading its head of sparse dark branches dark against the sky. As Lewis glanced down over the terraces, he saw that the tall pine tree was no longer there. In its place there rose above the ilexes what might have been a greater ilex. There was the blackness of a dense growth of foliage, rising like a broad and far-spreading and rounded cloud over the lesser trees. Here, then, was a sight Wholly incredible, impossible. It is doubtful whether the process of the human mind in such a case has ever been analyzed and registered. It is doubtful whether it ever can be registered. It is hardly fair to bring in the mathematician, since he deals with absolute truth, so far as mortality can conceive absolute truth. But how would a mathematician feel if he were suddenly confronted? with a two-sided triangle. I suppose he would instantly become a raging madman, and Lewis, staring wide-eyed and wild-eyed at a dark and spreading tree which his own experience informed him was not there, felt for an instant that shock which should affront us all when we first realized the intolerable antinomy of Achilles and the tortoise. Common sense tells us that Achilles will flash past the tortoise almost with the speed of the lightning. The inflexible truth of mathematics assures us that till the earth boils and the heavens cease to endure, the tortoise must still be in advance, and thereupon we should, in common decency, go mad. We do not go mad, because by special grace we are certified that, in the final court of appeal. All science is a lie, even the highest science of all, and so we simply grin at Achilles and the tortoise, as we grin at Darwin, deride Huxley, and laugh at Herbert Spencer." Dr. Lewis did not grin. He glared into the dimness of the night at the great spreading tree that he knew could not be there, and as he gazed he saw that what at first appeared the dense blackness of foliage was fretted and starred with wonderful appearances of lights and colors afterwards he said to me i remember thinking to myself look here i am not delirious my temperature is perfectly normal i am not drunk i only had a pint of graves with my dinner over three hours ago i have not eaten any poisonous fungus i have not taken an alonium lueni experimentally so now then WHAT IS HAPPENING?" The night had gloomed over. Clouds obscured the faint moon and the misty stars. Louis rose, with some kind of warning and inhibiting gesture to Remnant, who, he was conscious, was gaping at him in astonishment. He walked to the open French window, and took a pace forward onto the path outside and looked, very intently, at the dark shape of the tree down below the sloping garden, above the washing of the waves. He shaded the light of the lamp behind him by holding his hands on each side of his eyes. The mass of the tree, the tree that couldn't be there, stood out against the sky, but not so clearly now that the clouds had rolled up. Its edges, the limits of its leafage, were not so distinct. Lewis thought that he could detect some sort of quivering movement in it, though the air was at a dead calm. It was a night on which one might hold up a lighted match and watch it burn without any wavering or inclination of the flame. "'You know,' said Lewis, "'how a bit of burnt paper will sometimes hang over the coals "'before it goes up the chimney, "'and little worms of fire will shoot through it. "'It was like that. "'If you should be standing some distance away,' just threads and hairs of yellow light I saw, and specks and sparks of fire, and then a twinkling of a ruby no bigger than a pinpoint, and a green wandering in the black, as if an emerald were crawling, and then little veins of deep blue. Woe was me, I said to myself, in Welsh, what is all this colour and burning? And then, at that very moment, there came a thundering rap at the door of the room inside, and there was my man telling me that i was wanted directly up at the garth as old mr trevor williams had been taken very bad i knew his heart was not worth much so i had to go off directly and leave remnant to make what he could of it all end of chapter five